gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would challenge us and encourage us and change us. Lord, help us view our world differently as we look at it through your eyes. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. There you are, sitting in your house on maybe a Saturday morning or maybe a Thursday around dinner time, and the doorbell rings. And there's a knock, knock, knock on your door. What is your first reaction? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what do you do? Sit with that for a moment. Now, I'm going to add some clarity. You quickly peek through the window or peep through the viewer or you look at the ring doorbell on your phone and you discover that it's not a salesman, it's not a neighbor, and it's not some kid trying to raise funds for a soccer team or something like that. Instead, it is simply a stranger. And what's more, in a burst of hypothetical insight, you also somehow are able to discern that this person does not look like you, they do not act like you, they do not think like you, vote like you, smell like you, spend like you, or anything else like you. They are simply completely a stranger. And they've knocked on your door. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? And most importantly, how are you going to respond? Hold on to that. Now you're waiting in line, or you're waiting for a table at a restaurant, or you're waiting for your flight to take off, and the person next to you who you don't know turns to you and starts to talk. How do you respond, and what's happening on the inside? Now, to be fair, some of you are that person, and we're going to talk about that issue later. <laughs> but if you're not that person, what are you thinking? One more. Be because there's another type of stranger. Be because we also sometimes make people into strangers. If there's a group of people that you don't understand and don't relate to, then they in some ways are a stranger. But more than that, as we close ourselves off to people, as we exclude people, as we separate from others, in many ways we are making people into strangers. And since I think it's worth ratcheting this up a little bit, let's recognize that sometimes when we find out that someone is on the other side of whatever particular cause or team or party that we feel strongly about, and you know the ones, they're the ones who are the cause of all the problems in the world, the ones who don't understand and don't behave and don't belong, sometimes we start to view these people as strangers. You see, I can semi-excuse the stranger when I don't know them, because I assume they're just like me, I just don't happen to know them. But once I find out that they're on the other side, well then, the rules are changed. Now it's not just that I don't like them. It's not that I'm just generally annoyed or afraid or stressed by them. Now I even sometimes have contempt for them. Not, not anger, but disgust. And in many ways, this is where too many of us are when it comes to people 
who are strangers, when it comes to people who are on the other side, we feel contempt. Author Arthur Brooks, in a book called Love Your Enemies, argues that too much of our culture today has turned to contempt when dealing with people who are different from us or who disagree with us. He writes, while anger seeks to bring someone back into the fold, contempt seeks to exile. It attempts to mock, shame, and permanently exclude from relationships by belittling, humiliating, and ignoring. So while anger says, I care about this, contempt says, you disgust me. You are beneath caring about. And alas, this is what too many of us feel too often. Worse still, it does damage. It does damage to the recipient of the contempt, and it does damage to the hearts of the people who feel it. And it's becoming more and more of a problem. It's not just that I don't like you, it's that I have contempt for you. And in doing that, we do damage and we make people into strangers. But of course, we know the opposite side of this. The other side is that we all recognize we need other people because we don't want to feel alone, because we don't want to feel vulnerable, because we don't want to be unknown. We were made for connection. We need to feel chosen. We require community. And yet too often we close ourselves off from one another and we wonder why we feel so lonely and isolated. Vivek Murthy, in a book called Together, writes, we need social connection just as much today as we ever did, perhaps even more, as the world's increasing complexity makes it easy to feel lost and forgotten. I may not have to join a hunting party to ensure that my family has food, but I still need people with whom to share a meal. I may not have to take turns with my neighbors keeping watch for predators, but my wife and I still feel more secure with the knowledge that we and our neighbors are looking out for one another. Loneliness is a built-in reminder that we are stronger together, not just as clans and tribes or family and friends, but also as caring communities that form the foundation of a healthy culture. So what do we do? And more particularly, what do we do about strangers? How did we get into this predicament? How do we get ourselves out of it? And what does our faith have to say about any of this? As we think about that, I will let you know that today we are beginning a new series, really the first of, I think, three, as we explore the idea, the reality, and the blessing of strangers. Because here's the thing, how we treat strangers says a lot about who we are and what we believe. In fact, in many ways, our treatment of strangers becomes a barometer of our beliefs. I'm going to say that one again because it's important. In many ways, our treatment of strangers becomes a barometer of our beliefs. Because notice, if you believe the world is scary and dangerous you will innately treat strangers with fear and apprehension. If you believe that resources are way too scarce, there's never enough to go around, it's going to be almost impossible for you to share with, let alone be generous to, a stranger. 
If you believe that we are the only ones who are reliable or valuable or right, then you're going to have trouble trusting or valuing or learning from a stranger. More than that, our response to strangers also reveals our belief in God. Because if we believe that God has brought us in even when we were strangers, our tendency will be to be a little bit more welcoming to strangers. If God sacrificed for us when when we could do nothing for God in return, we're going to be a little bit more willing to sacrifice for the stranger. If God loved us even when we were strangers, maybe even we can love the stranger better. And so I'll say it again, our treatment of strangers in many ways becomes the barometer of our belief. And that's not to say that any of this is easy, because the stranger is the unknown. That's the point. And yet that's also why our response to them can be so revealing and maybe even life-changing. And so we begin a new series. If you would, I would encourage and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, This is right at the beginning. While you're turning there, I'm going to mention simply that just prior to this, Adam and Eve have sinned, they've received the consequences of their sin, and they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This is what happens right after that. Chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When, you're, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east 
of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Methujal, and Methujal was the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, that devolved quickly. Uh, it was a chapter, maybe two chapters ago, that we, humanity, was walking in the garden with God. We had good work to do. We were no longer lonely. We were unafraid. We were at peace. Then sin enters in. We get booted out, and everything starts falling apart. We were, we were made to live one way. We chose to live a different way, and it turns out we don't like some of the consequences of this new way of life. And so we come to the story of Cain and Abel. One is a farmer, one is a shepherd. One is a little bit more settled, one is a little bit more nomadic. Cain thinks to offer some of the field to God as an offering. Abel follows suit and offers some of the flock to God as an offering. And God looks with more favor on Abel's offering. And we're not told why. Maybe Cain didn't offer it in the right spirit. Maybe Cain didn't do it the right way. Maybe Cain didn't give enough or choose something costly enough. Maybe God just prefers the smell of barbecue. We're not told. We're just told that God has favor on Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Just for clarity, we are also not told that Cain did anything wrong. Cain isn't in trouble. Cain isn't necessarily the problem. It's not bad that Cain sacrificed something for God. All we're told is God preferred Abel's sacrifice. But then Cain responds. Cain gets jealous. Cain gets hurt. Cain gets angry. And Cain kills Abel. Again, we're still in the first few pages of the Bible here, and there's already been a homicide. Things are not looking good for us. And so Cain asks of God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer clearly should have been yes. Cain reaps the fruit of his actions as the ground is further cursed for the farmer, Cain. So Cain heads further east of Eden. Worried that he will forever be a restless wanderer, he heads to the land of Nod. Uh, interestingly, Nod in the Hebrew means wandering. And so he heads into the land of wandering as he worries that he will always feel lost, alone, and vulnerable. 
which may also be why he starts to try and build a city. This former farmer tries to replant himself even if the ground won't respond. And so he starts working to gather people back together. Of course, at this point, it's worth addressing some of the perpetual questions that come up in this passage. Namely, who are all of these people that are supposed to come to this new city that he's building? Or for that matter, where does Cain's wife come from? Or for that matter, who are these people that Cain is so worried that are going to come and kill him? Who's he worried about? I mean, at the end of the day, it strikes me that Cain is either worried that it's family or it's strangers. Because really, those are your only choices at this point. But who are these people? One possibility is that Adam and Eve could have had lots more children in the intervening time who then had lots of children as well. Remember, the Bible says that these people lived a lot longer then than we do now. So maybe there was just a lot of brothers and sisters and cousins by this point. Another option is that God could have kept creating more people after Adam and Eve but our story just focuses on them. They're the first, and then God does his own thing. Or, and for our purposes, this may be the most helpful, we don't know who these people are. And more importantly, Cain doesn't either. Who knows who's out there? Who knows what kind of people will be out there in the wild and the wilderness? Who knows if there won't be strangers? On the one hand, Cain seems to be worried he's going to be all alone. And on the other hand, Cain is worried that he won't because there could be strangers out there. And what's more, it's worth noting that in traveling east of Eden, Cain also is in many ways becoming the stranger. As he wanders away, as he loses connection with his community, he becomes even more the stranger. Anyway, the story continues. We have a few more generations born. Cain's offspring take up instruments and tools and a more nomadic life. Uh, and then we come to this guy named Lamech who kills a man. And we don't even know who this guy is. He's just some guy. He's just a stranger. And I think we see our problem, the problem of strangers getting worse. Because what do we do with people who are not like us? What do we do with people who we don't know? What do we do with people who are different? Especially as technologies make communities more brittle. Especially as we struggle with communicating more and more. Especially as there simply are more people and thus more strangers. And so as we dig into this just a little bit more... I think it's worth noting how we tend to be a people who make strangers of people. Sometimes we even make a stranger of God. And maybe we could talk a little bit about how we might respond differently. And, and so I want to begin just with this tendency that we have to make people into strangers, which I think is one of the things we see in this passage. I mean, even at the start, we are told that Cain and Abel are different, despite being brothers. One is a person of the herd, one is a person of the field, which also means one is more mobile, one is more stationary. One spends most of their time out there, and one spends most of their time in here. One deals with animals, one deals with crops. They're just different. Sure, 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 they're family. But even then, I wonder if they become estranged enough 
that soon they feel like strangers. Because as I read this story, it's hard to picture how Cain could do something so evil to his brother. And yet the easiest way to do it is if he no longer sees him as his brother. Quite frankly, I think this is how only a couple generations later you come to Lamech, killing a man for, for some slight, seeking vengeance, not justice. And this person seems to just be some stranger. By one way of looking at this, this should be a member of the family. And yet, I think it's enlightening that the Bible just leaves this person nameless and faithless. And while Cain's line vanishes from the story, by the time we get to Noah, we still have these same tendencies and responses in us. We are stranger makers. And as if that's not bad enough, we then tend to think the worst of strangers. They're bad people. They aren't as smart as us. They're not as kind as us. They're not as worthy as us. To the point that we can simply see them as less than us. Which also explains why I can hear a story of one person's suffering. And because of the story, it makes them a little less a stranger. And so my heart goes out. We should, let me tell you the story of so-and-so. And this is what happened. And this is what happened. And then this happened. And this happened. And now they're struggling with this, 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 and this. And your heart goes out to them. Because in telling the story, I've made them not a stranger anymore. I can tell you about 100,000 people just like that person who are just like them, better and worse off, and we just don't care because they're strangers. And yet even from the beginning, it's clear that apparently we are our brothers and our sisters' keepers. And maybe that's the first step on this journey, recognizing that the other is still our responsibility, recognizing that we do share more in common than the things that divide us, recognizing that they, those people, are family. Because if we could start to see people as brothers and sisters first, before all the other things that make us strangers we could engage them enough to make a difference. And that's not to say that we always get along with our brothers and sisters. Clearly, we don't. It's not to say that we always agree with our brothers and sisters. Clearly, we don't. It's not to say that we're always supposed to be the same. Clearly, we're not. But it is to say that we're supposed to be family first. And thus, we are our brother's keeper. And we maybe have a lot more brothers and sisters than we think. Looking back at our passage, there's another that I think we can sometimes strangerify to make a word. And that is, I think sometimes we can become estranged to God. Notice what Cain's fear is in regards to his punishment. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer. In other words, as he wanders, he's worried he will wander away from God's presence. And while theologically we know that that's impossible, experientially, we all know it's all too easy for even us to stray seemingly too far. Imagine how scary it would be to find ourselves estranged from God. 
And notice, this isn't to say that we aren't different or distant from God, because God is holy and we are not. And yet, time and time again, throughout the Scriptures, we see God as the one who moves towards, who brings near, who includes, who redeems, who makes family again. Even as we are the ones who wander, even as we are the ones who get distracted, even as we are the ones who forget, God is still there. God is still with us. God still loves us. And if that's the model of God, if God's always the one who takes the first step in bringing someone back from being estranged, maybe we are called to be that kind of people as well. Maybe even we can become better at welcoming in the stranger. I find it interesting at the end of the passage we are told that the people begin to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, somehow they turn back toward God and they cease to be estranged. I wonder if you know what it's like to feel like you're a stranger. I wonder if you've ever felt that. I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that you think I belong here. I wonder, what are your tendencies when you think about the stranger? What goes on? What are the, the tapes that play, and what do they tell us about what we believe? I wonder if we could know better how God has taken us strangers and brought us in, made us family, I wonder how that might change how we respond, even to strangers. Because I think in many ways, strangers is the hard case. Friends are friends, family's family, enemies, that's a different category altogether. There's a little bit of extra grace there because that's a hard one. But the stranger, the unknown, the unwelcomed, could we have a better understanding of how God has accepted us as strangers and thus change how we respond to them? Let's pray. Lord God, today I am particularly mindful of Jesus who welcomed us in, who made us family who came to us even though we were lost, even though we were strangers, and brought us back, brought us back toward you, and changed our status. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we begin this journey, as, as we talk about what may be hard things. We pray that we would become a people who are more welcoming. We pray that we would become a people more like you. We pray that you would grant us wisdom and discernment as we begin this journey. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.